for what you've been doing over the last couple of weeks in our hearts and lives. And uh, once again, Lord God, we trust in you that as we gather together as your people, that you are able to speak to us. It's a wonderful thing. Sometimes we feel like we can't hear you. Sometimes we feel like we're not able to know what you're doing, but it doesn't stop you from speaking because you're able to make it clear to us what you're doing. You open our ears, you open our eyes. And so this morning, Lord, our confidence is not in the preacher. Our confidence is not in the, in the preaching. Our confidence is in a God that is able to communicate and speak and change and bring revelation in your spirit that is able to reveal yourself to us. And we come with humility under authority this morning, Lord. We don't, we're not listening for something just inspirational. We are, we are, we are listening for commands. You're our master. You're our king. Honestly, your word, Lord is truth. We're not listening, Lord God, just for a little, um, you know, nugget of inspiration. We're listening for commands from the King. We're listening for instructions. We're listening for encouragement from you as you urge us to live the life you've called us to live. And so, Lord, I, I yield to you, Holy Spirit. I submit everything I want to say to you and say, Lord, will you speak to us only that which you want? Honestly, Lord, um, take us and move us forward this morning, one step forward in the kingdom of God. We know that you're working in the planet. Father, you're working on earth. You're working in Durban beyond what we're doing and beyond what you're doing in us. You're working in the city, some places we're not even aware of. But Lord, you chose to use us to fit into your plan so that your will can be done and your kingdom can come. So have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. We've been doing a series called Hello Peter, and Hello Peter is a, a website, as you probably know by now, and I've just been saying like it's a website for the first time in the 2000s where people could freely complain. Hello, you guys. You dress the same. <laughs> um, where people kind of suddenly everybody had a voice to to voice their dissatisfaction with maybe some service and stuff like that with with different companies and I've just been saying like can you stop the show <laughs> preaching here and um, um, I've just been saying that how in some ways, our lives is like a website, like a canvas that the world is constantly writing their reviews on. And it can be a lot of pressure, and a lot of people can be very critical, and the world can be a very cruel pa uh, place. And, you know, we can, people seem to always find the thing that you're not doing, or the thing that you're doing wrong, and voices seem to always be picking on the things that you, you're not doing right. And I was just saying that we need to live our lives. There's a change in Peter's lives from the Gospels through in the book of Acts and to the letters he writes, where actually something changes in his life. He's no more living to try and please everybody else and keep everyone else happy, but there's a shift in his vision, how he sees himself. He sees himself through Christ's eyes, um, and that changes the way he lives. He begins to see his value not from what he does or what he achieves or what other people say, but he begins to find value from the fact that God loves him as he is, and it changes his life. It brings stability 
It brings a solidness in a world that's upside down. And um, we saw last week how his motivation even changed. And I've just been saying in these areas, I'm really praying, really praying for us that there'd be a shift and a transformation. Because the good news must lead to action. The gospel must lead to acts. And acts leads to this partnership or these epistles of our lives with, with this partnership with the church in the, in, the, in the kingdom project. Does that make sense? It's a story. It should be the story of all of our lives. We meet Jesus, but somehow that change leads to action. And action leads to the kingdom, this beautiful tapestry of our lives connected through the church. You know, we probably wouldn't even know each other if it wasn't for the gospel. But somehow through the gospel, our lives are connected. And here we are partnering together in something that's a, a letter written from heaven to the world. It's a beautiful thing. Amen. Are you going to preach with me this week again? Last week you guys preached really well. Hey? Brian's going, amen. Yeah, I did well. So um, today I want to talk about the calling. And, and I've used the word personal in front of all of these things. Because when we talk about your vision, I'm talking about your personal vision. How you see yourself in the context of God and the world. Your personal value. How much you value yourself. Um, and your personal motivation. And so today it's your personal calling. So turn to your friend and say, we're talking about your calling. And then say, we're talking about my calling as well. <laughs> it's a, it must have been quite an experience for Peter to walk three years with the Son of God here on earth. I mean, it must have been mind-blowing in many ways. You know what I mean? I think when Jesus left, they must have still been saying like, who is this person that, you know, the wind and the waves just obeyed him. Dead people rose, sick, you know, the things he said. That, and we walked with him three years. It must have been a phenomenal experience. But I think as, as Peter walked with Jesus, he clearly would have seen that Jesus' life was governed not by kind of what was just seen in the visible world, but there was this kingdom or agenda that he couldn't see that motivated Jesus' action. And you see this in, in Mark chapter 1, verse 36. Um, a whole lot of exciting things happen, and we're going to read that. Um, uh, people getting healed and all sorts, and, and everybody's looking for Jesus. And so Simon and his companions go to look for Jesus, and they, they found him, and they said to him, Everyone's looking for you. Isn't that cool? Everyone's looking for you. And Jesus replies, Let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages. Right, um, so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. It's clear for me. I think Peter would have seen that the motivation, the call of Jesus's life. If the motivation is the why, the calling is the what. Jesus said, "I must go so I can preach." It's the what. That's why I've came. I've come to preach. It's the what. My motivation last week, we, we, we spoke about that, is, is, is more than just the things of this world. But the what is the preaching? And Jesus found this. Remember this when he picked up the scroll in Luke chapter 4. You think like, what is my calling? Well, there's a prophetic 
speaking over us. And Jesus found it in the Scriptures. Remember in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, He picked up the scroll and He realized, for me to live in my call, I need the Spirit of God to come on me. Because God doesn't often pick us because we qualify. You know, when He calls us, it's not because we're preaching so well. Jesus found us in the Old Testament Scripture, and I want to encourage you to use the Bible like that. If you're looking for what it is that God's called you, go and read the Scriptures. And from the Scriptures, there's, there's this prophetic edge that, that God begins to speak into your life. And so Jesus picks up the scroll, and, and he, he quotes from Isaiah 61. Remember in Luke chapter 4, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. You see, when God calls you, it's not about... Uh, qualifying and being able to do. And this is where it's so different to the world. The world says you're called when you're really good at something and you can do it. Oh, you're called to that. When it comes to God, He often calls you to what you're not good at. And then His Spirit comes on you to do it. There is a difference. And so again, I'm just following through with this theme of Hello Peter, but we can't just, just because we're talented doesn't mean we're called. Just because there's a need doesn't mean we're called. It's different. And Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach. It's not just the why here, it's the what. He's called me to preach. Good news, to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind. To release the oppressed. It's about the what. And you will have seen Jesus. Uh, uh, Peter would have heard these things that Jesus said. Uh, that the what of my life is to come. And to uh, I've come to be the light of the world. I've come to destroy the works of the evil one. I've come to fulfill the law. I've come to seek and save the lost. I've come that you may have life. Jesus was very clear as to the what. Does that make sense? Because sometimes we talk about the call of God like it's um, fuzzy. Oh, you better help me here. Turn to your friend and say, don't be fuzzy. And if they don't know what that means, I don't know. Oh, there it is. Jesus very, very clear. And in one occasion in Matthew twenty-eight, verse Matthew twenty, verse twenty-eight, Jesus makes it clear that the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to give his life a ransom for many. And so Jesus was clear that there was a cost to the call that God had for his life. And so it was, Jesus was like, my life, there's a calling on my life before I was born, and, and I'm trying to walk into what it is that God's called me to do. That's how Jesus lived his life. Now, I'll say all that <clears throat> so that we realize just because Jesus knew all that didn't make it easy for him to live in the call of God. It didn't make it easy for him. It was actually very, very hard. If you read 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, that by following them you may fight the good fight of, oh, it doesn't say of faith. Let me not add. Sometimes it feels like to do the thing God's called you to do is a non-stop fight. 
And I'm saying to you that it was no different for Jesus. It didn't mean he didn't have any opposition. It didn't mean it wasn't hard. It didn't mean that the devil didn't try his utmost to distract Jesus from what it was that God called him to do. In fact, he used a very well-meaning close friend to try and distract him. Remember Peter being very helpful in the call of God in Jesus' life. When he took him aside one day and just like, you know, for all good intentions, I mean, no, 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 you're not going to go to the cross. And I mean, you can understand by the way that Jesus answers him because I think like it must have been a challenge for Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't just say, Pete, no, don't worry, bro, I got this. He said like, get behind me, Satan. It must have been like Jesus recognizes this is a distraction and he says to him, it's because, I hear what you're saying, it's very sincere, but this is not in the interest of God, and this is not helping me in the call of God. This is making it really hard, so get behind me. Because remember, Jesus, the kenosis of Christ is what theologians call it, Philippians chapter 2. He had laid aside his divinity. And so you think, this wasn't hard for him. It was hard. It was hard. He stood facing this. He had emptied himself as God and took on the form of of humanity, relying on the Holy Spirit, trying to live out the call of God. It wasn't easy for him. I'm just telling you, because sometimes we think to be in the call of God means like I'm feeling great, everything's going well. No, it, it actually can be a constant fight. And I think sometimes the devil will do whatever he can to get you to quit on that thing that God's called you to do. Hello? In Luke chapter 4 verse 2, it says that, um, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness so that he may be tempted by Satan. Here's a newsflash. Jesus was tempted. Otherwise, that scripture, you have to take it out. And if, that, if temptation is sin, that means Jesus sinned. It means, no, he was tempted. And I know theologically Jesus is the Son of God. He can't sin. So it's not like Jesus could give in to sin and the temptation ends. He couldn't. But that doesn't mean he wasn't tempted to be distracted from the call of God. In fact, and I mean Jesus, if he had walked with Jesus, I think Peter would have realized Jesus is not a very high-maintenance guy. If there's no food, he kind of like he brings an answer, isn't it? If someone's sick, he's generally the guy who like just, Peter's mom's got a fever. Do you know what I mean? If there's no wine at the wedding, I mean, Jesus is not a high-maintenance guy. He's a nice guy to have around. (laughs) But there's this occasion where he understood that part of the call of God is for him to lay down his life, to take on the sin of the world. It's what the Father had destined for his life. It's what God had called him to do. And um, in Mark 14, verse 32, it says that, They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And again, I want you to imagine Jesus 
not in his divinity, but Jesus in his humanity. Understanding the call of God, having facing the temptation, having to walk through, like I say, even his close friends distracting him, trying to throw him off. Walking through the wilderness, getting to this, and then saying in John, remember, he said, it's my food to do the will of him who sent me and to complete the work he gave me to do. He understood part of the call of God, the what, is to lay down my life as a ransom for many. I'm just saying all this because I want you to know to, to live for the call of God is not necessarily easy. Is that all right? I should have preached this for a New Year's message. It would have gone down well, isn't it? And here this Jesus, he went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, um, sit here while I pray. You can hear he's, he's, he's being brave in a sense, Jesus. But then he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply dis distressed and troubled. And in verse 34, he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them, stay here and keep watch. As he gets to this point in the journey of, <coughs> sorry, um, just following through with the call of God, he I think, I mean, you can imagine as a man, and Jesus just saying, there's a lot on my shoulders. It's the whole world. It's the destiny and the sin of the whole world on my shoulders. And I, is this too polite? Sorry, I, I'm just feeling the emotion of what he must have gone through at that moment. And for him to actually bring his close friends in and to say, uh, pray with me. This is hard. This is difficult. Um, and I say this because I've seen so many people who called by God being put off by this. And I, I want to say that's exactly what the enemy wants. That thing that God has for your life, it's exactly that thing. It's exactly that thing. That's so hard. That seems like a fight all the time. It's the thing. And it's not by chance. And so um, the word Jesus uses here is overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. And I can tell you, if you try and walk in the, in the, in the calling of God, that would be the word that would ring true mostly. It's overwhelming. It's the whole world, and it's me. And God, you're asking me to do this thing. You're asking me to do that. It's just overwhelming. And so, I'm so happy that Peter could be of great assistance to Jesus at that point, and he falls asleep. <laughs> His deepest, darkest moment, and... Uh, Jesus calls him in, and three times he comes back. Uh, you know, I mean, people do fall asleep at prayer meetings, but, I mean, this is like, one is the Son of God, and this is like three times. Can you just not, like, wake up and pray? And, um, well, Peter, that's why I'm just saying there's been a change in Peter, and we'll look at that in a moment. 
But there were other people that helped Jesus. There were other people. And uh, you read that account in, in the Gospel of Luke. And when you read this account, I want to make it very clear that the Scripture is absolutely, without a doubt, very clear that when we die, there is a life after death. And the Scripture, you know, when you read your Bible, it doesn't lie about anything else. Because if it lies even once, you can't trust it. But it's everything in the Scriptures are always proven. And we read this in Luke chapter 9, verse 28. It says about eight days later, Jesus took again Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, <coughs> the appearance of his face was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. Now, the Bible doesn't say uh, Peter saw a vision of Moses and Elijah. doesn't say it was two angels that looked like Moses and Elijah. It says Moses and Elijah. And when it says Moses and Elijah, it means Moses and Elijah. And it means that even after death, there is a recognition of who these people were. Are you doing all right? That's the side free. Just because when we die, it's not the end. You've got to know that. And when we talk about the call of God, it's super important to understand that. And so Jesus is going through this time, and it says here that they were, uh, they were talking with Jesus while Peter was sleeping again. <laughs> not very helpful always. It says they were talking with Jesus, and they were glorious to see, and they were speaking about his exodus from this world which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem, Peter and the others had fallen asleep. <laughs> it seems to be like a common thing. Uh. <laughs> I suppose every time the other oaks are like, where's Peter? He's sleeping. <laughs> um, but Moses and Elijah were two men who understood something of the call of God being difficult. You understand what's going on here? And, and Jesus was about to exit uh, or, or his, make his exodus from this earth. And, and Moses had led God's people through an exodus from, from slavery into the, into the promised land. You know, Elijah had brought fire down. Jesus, his sacrifice would bring the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and all this. And so there's Moses and Elijah, and they were talking to Jesus. But both of those guys found the call of God so difficult at some point that they almost said like, it would be easier if I could just die than actually do this. Both of them, Moses and Elijah. Thank God he doesn't answer all our prayer and sometimes we sleep while we pray and all that. He knows what he's doing. But Moses, literally, there was one day where it was chaos. People were complaining. God was angry. There was no water. The logistics weren't working out. <laughs> do you know what I mean? They were moaning about the menu. Coffee was cold. They were saying, who are you? You don't have it in you to take us where God wants to take. What are you doing? You should have left us. Why are you interfering? What's wrong with you? Who are you? And he was like, Lord, did I give birth to these people? <laughs> You're asking me to carry them like children, you know, to the place you want me to be. Ugh, it's, if this is how it's going to be, uh, please, Lord. I remember Elijah had Jezebel constantly threatening his life. Telling him, I'll take you out. I'm going to do this to you. I'm going to do that to you. 
And then one day he just, he's like, he's had enough. I've had enough. This is hard. And he, you know, in his moment, he was like, I'm the only one. Only one. No, he is exaggerating. And he's like, I'm no better than anybody else. I've, I'm like, you remember that? All this. So these are the guys around Jesus at this moment when Jesus has to himself walk through what God's called him to do. So all of that, I say, because, you know, with Moses and with Elijah, God had a bigger plan than just their lives. Elijah was to bring God's people back from this Baal worship. You know what I mean? It's to deliver them from this idolatry. Moses, it was to, to, to set a nation free, but to, to show a picture of what Jesus did. Through his blood, we'd be saved from our sins and have a different life. So this is all. God was doing bigger things than just what was going on right there. And Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah. They're coming to help Jesus, to remind him, Jesus, it's not just about your life and what's, what's going on right here and right now. This is about something bigger. Isn't that cool? Of course, Peter wakes up and let's build a house here for everybody. The Bible says he didn't know what he was talking about. But there was a change in Peter's life. And I want to look at what he, he wrote about the call of God later on in his life in a moment. But I want to say that uh, I'm, uh, we, we can't cover the whole, that's not the goal of this preach, to talk about the call of God in, in, in its entirety. All you've got to know is there's a general call of God. There's a general call. If you're born into the nation Israel in the Old Testament, and that's the shadow and the picture, you already had a destiny before you were born. You already had a call because of a promise God made to Abraham. Remember the promise? I will bless you and you will preach with me. Be a blessing. Remember that? You must preach correctly if you want to preach, man. I will bless you and you will be a blessing. The, the promise was that 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 nation would become a blessing to, to the whole world, ultimately through Jesus coming. But that was the destiny. You, you, that was the call of God on that nation. If you were born into that nation, that was the call. It's all of us, all God's people. And so the same with the church and God's people. There are things that God has called all of us to. We are called to belong to Christ. Go and read the scriptures, Colossians, I think it is somewhere. You're called to belong to Him. That's our call. It goes beyond my career. It goes beyond what I can do. It goes beyond my talents, what I'm good at. I'm called. I have a destiny. If I'm in Christ, to belong to Christ, to be His bride, to be prepared for eternity for Christ. I'm called to declare His praises. Go and read those scriptures. We are called to make disciples, to reach the lost. It's all of us are called to that. And here I say that because some people think like to have a calling is so that I can have a ministry. But if your ministry is not helping to prepare the bride or make disciples or reach the lost, what's the point? It wasn't given for you. The calling is never for you. It's Him calling us. Does that make sense? And so it's not about you having a calling. Having a ministry, having, if that ministry is not serving the bigger calling, then what? That's pointless. 
pointless, absolutely pointless. You get it? Then I make sense. Michael, will you help me here? Okay. Within that, um, here's an example, and, and I'll just I just picked one scripture, but you can go and read Leviticus, Numbers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you were a mirrorite, that's you. <laughs> I just realized in Numbers three verse thirty-six it says the mirrorites were appointed to take care of the frames of the tabernacle, its crossbars, its posts, its bases, its equipment, and everything related to their use. If you're a Merorite or a Korathite or whatever clan you are born into, you already had a specific call from God, a responsibility. Does that make sense? Before you were born, the responsibility was there. You're born into the responsibility. People are getting saved now. They are saved into what the church is already called. It's not like God saying, like, oh, the church, let's find something for her to do. The thing to do was there before the church began. The church is the vehicle through which he wants to do it. Does that make sense? That's the general call of God. You've got to understand that. Within that, there's the specifics. I have been scratching to find out a little bit of the history of us as a local church. We, we, this church is over 40 years old. And I've been saying, like, Lord, what is the purpose for which you've planted this lampstand? Because somehow she exists because you had the purpose long before that. And there is a general call and there's a general prophetic direction and there is something, there's a reason you planted this thing. We've got to find it. But then there's a specific time for you and me to do something. And it's a specific task and it's a specific call. God's asked me specifically to husband this daughter of his. He's given me specifically two kids that are his kids that he's called me to parent. He specifically put me among certain neighbors to be a neighbor to them. He specifically handpicked the people at the office or wherever you are and inserted you because he's called you to play a role there. Does that make sense? Specific. Very specific. John 15, 16, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you to bear fruit and fruit that will last. I want to say God didn't pick you because you're qualified. God didn't pick you because you're the best. God didn't pick you because he thought you could do the job. He didn't even pick you because he likes you. The call and the gifts of God are irrevocable. In Romans eleven twenty nine, they never change. They, he doesn't revoke it. He just chooses you. And he calls. And then he begins to qualify you and empower you. Are you doing all right? So to my last bit of time that I've got left, I want to look at how things changed for Peter from being a sleepy pre-meeting attender to actually understanding something of the call of God. Having watched Jesus' life, I think he realized when Jesus went, he must have thought back to some of these things and thought like, wow, wow, this happened right in front of me. Now I see why he, he did that. Now I see. And so we're going to pick up Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And I'm going to make four things about the call of God. Four points. Can you take them? They're short. They're not long. Um, 
Turn to your friend and say, don't sleep in the prayer meeting. Or actually just say, don't do it, Peter. Just say, please don't do it, Peter. <laughs> I didn't actually realize that. I'm going to put up the gazebos from now on. At the Christmas day. It's your responsibility. Okay, let's read it together and I'm going to come back to these verses. Verse 3. By His divine power, I'm going to read this. Let's read it together and enjoy this. I'm, I'm, re- I'm going to read from the NLT and just quote the NIV, which I know very well. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the one who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His great glory and excellence, He's given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith. The NIV will say, add to your faith. And for some, this might be a very foreign scripture because during the faith movement, faith might have been the only thing that's important. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I'm just reading another scripture that says, supplement your faith. Add to your faith. With a generous provision of moral excellence, NIV says goodness, and moral excellence, knowledge, and knowledge, self-control. There are seven things. Self-control with patience and endurance. Patience and endurance with godliness. With godliness, brotherly affection, brotherly affection, love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard. Here's your chance. Tell your friend, work hard. To prove that you are really among those God has called and chosen. And some already might have a problem with this. But I'm going to come back to it. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The NIV says God will give you a rich welcome. I reckon Jesus personally will be there individually to welcome us into the kingdom. And this scripture clearly tells us that there is a kind of welcome that you want at the end. Thus far, our reading. (laughs) Flashback. So the first thing I want to say is this. You have it in you. You have it 
in you. When it comes to the call of God, you have it in you. Why am I saying this? I'll explain. The world mostly tells you you don't have what it takes. When you read the scripture, firstly, you almost feel like His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him. You almost have this idea that you, you go along and then the power of God, the divine power of God, you access it. And it gives you what you need, and the power of God leaves again. But I think there's a different way of understanding this. In the Old Testament, remember when Moses uh, asked God, Who shall I say sent me? And God said to him, Yeah, you're right. I am who I am. Tell them I am. And there's many different explanations for that. But someone once said, I am means I'll be what you need me to be when you need me to be it. So just go. And when you need it, it will be there. Right? In the New Testament, Jesus comes along and seven times, he, there's seven quotes. You can go and do a little study. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am, he takes the same quote from the Old Testament and he's saying, I am the light of the world. I am the truth, the life. So he fulfills that. He's saying like, Everything that God is, that's who I am. And then we understand the New Testament. What happens is, when I believe in Jesus, Christ comes into me permanently. Christ in us, the hope of glory. So there is a big difference here. It's not like I'm going in the call of God and God's not here. I get to a problem, God steps in and He does it and I, I move on. It's different. No, from the day I get to know Jesus, everything I need, He puts in me. It's in me. It's already in me. It's Jesus in me. It's in me. There's a difference. And so the best way I could picture this was this um, tree and seed. That's a gum tree. It's massive. Eucalyptus tree. It's got branches, roots. I think it's got bark. Is it? Well, it should have bark. It's got everything. It's, got, it's huge. It's massive. But you know, everything that you see there is contained in that little seed. I don't know if you can see it there. It's tiny. That's a pod. And inside that pod's all those little seeds. And that whole tree comes from that little seed. And everything that's needed for that tree, everything is already in that seed. It's nothing else that, that gets put into it. Yes, it grows, and yes, it's water and light and minerals and all that, but everything that's needed is there, and, and that's how I understand it. The moment I, I come to Jesus Christ, the eternal seed of the Word, the, the seed of the kingdom, remember the stories Jesus told us. Yes, it's small. Yes, it's like a mustard seed, but it's planted in you, and everything you need is already in you to fulfill the call of God. And I've realized for me, the times when I feel like you're, I want to give up. I just want to stop doing what he's telling me to do. And I go to God, and I'm like, God, like Moses, the people and Elijah, I'm the only one. And then I often just hear God say, carry on. No, no, keep going. You got it. You got, you got, everything you need is in, it's in you. <laughs> keep going. You can do it. Go. 
Yeah, I'm sure Elijah would have, like, God's going to bring wrath and change it. I'm sure Moses would have, like, God, I'm out of it. Like, thank you. Can you release me from my duties? No, God's just like, okay, okay, go back, carry on. And for me, I've realized this is super important that you and I understand for whatever God's personally called you, it's in you already. Don't believe the world that says you don't have it in you. You do. Because we have Christ in us. What we need is not a change in the circumstances for us to be able to do what God's called us to do. We don't need God to do something else. That scripture says his, by His divine power, He's given us everything we need for a godly life. We've received all of this by our knowledge of Him. The day we came to know Jesus, He put into us everything we need to live the rest of our lives in a godly way and follow the call of God. It's already given. It's in us. All we need to do is go and spend time with Jesus, get to know Him, and from that knowledge it's going to flow, but it's already there. Is that okay? Turn to your friend and say, it's already in you, man. The second thing is that the promises, oh my goodness, a bit time. All right, quickly landing. His promises are the key. His promises are the key. When it comes to the call of God, I think promises have been reduced by the world. It's too easy to promise. People make promises all the time. Over-promise, under-deliver. That's how the world is. They've taken promises and made them cheap. They made them cheap, super cheap. Um, you know, people can take Psalm 91 and use it as a wish list. To, to, but you know, those promises are not yours unless you're in Christ. You know that. They're not promised to anyone outside of Christ. And so Peter here, he says, because of his excellence or his goodness, he's given us great and precious promises. And I feel like the Lord's just saying again to us, man, his promises are linked to his purposes. Look at Matthew 28. Go into all the world and... I will be with you. Not just I'm with you to the end of the age. No, go and do this. That's my purpose. And in my purpose, here's the promise. And so Peter says God's given us very precious promises. They're precious promises. Why are they precious? Because God, it's impossible for God to lie. And every promise he makes is yes for those who are in Christ Jesus. Go read it. It's every promise is only ours because of Jesus. That makes them super valuable. Super precious. They're not just promises God made to keep us happy and to bless us. And to, they are promises God has. He keeps His promises. And in the call of God, you see, Jesus had to entrust Himself to God the Father. Because God promised He'd raise Him from the dead. When you feel like giving up, remind yourself of the promises of God. Amen. Thirdly, supplement your faith. Turn to your friend and say supplement. You know, a supplement is not, a, uh, there's a difference between supplement and substitute. You can never substitute faith. And this is the confusion with the faith teaching, I think. We think like, without faith it's impossible to please God. But you know, faith in God, faith without action is dead faith. There has to be action to faith. 
And so this means add to your faith, supplement your faith. And it gives you seven things there. Goodness, brotherly kindness, it ends up with love. And so um, that word just means nourish your faith, add to your faith, make every effort. Turn to your friend and say, make every effort. You see, when it comes to the, the call of God, you have to keep growing in these areas. You have to keep growing. And my question, we can all sit here when I say, yeah, are you growing in goodness? Yes, are you growing in knowledge? Yes, are you are growing in self-control, a patient endurance, godliness, brotherly affection? You'd probably say, yeah, I think I am. My question is, is there anyone who, who knows you well enough that if you're not, could say to you, you know what? You stop growing in that one. Because if not, if it's just you, You might not even realize it. And you become ineffective and unproductive in the kingdom of God. Are you doing okay? When we're called, it means we're constantly growing. And look at those scriptures because it says he calls us to himself. The call of God should never take you away from Jesus. Don't say, yo, we fed the poor and all that. Where was God? No, if the thing takes you away from God, it's not God. It never takes you away from God. Should never, if it's God calling you, huh? this script Peter says so clearly here, he's called us to himself. It should bring you closer to God. If it's God calling you to do something, it brings you closer to God, not take you away from God. But you have to keep growing. Don't follow the thing and you stop growing. No supplements. You're never going to look like Elred and me if you don't take supplements. <laughs> And then I'm just messing around. And um, the last thing, I, I remember Peter, I think he missed it so many times. He didn't get this. And he could have been more helpful to Jesus. But Jesus was just like, you'll get it. You'll get it. <laughs> it's fine. I picked you. And when Peter realized these things, he must have said like, Yo. <laughs> you know that feeling when you're kind of like, oh, my word. Did I do that? And then, you know, uh, they tell us that Mark's gospel was actually a gospel that Peter, Peter had dictated to Paul when he was in Antioch. So it was, most theologians would take the gospel of Mark as Peter's gospel that they translated into Greek for the Gentiles. And then you read some of the things he put down there. Well, he, he put down, he fell asleep, and he put down all these things. They're written forever. <laughs> I think he must have just realized, like, flip, the call of God on my life is really just because of the goodness and the kindness of God. So I've got nothing more to lose. I'm going to throw myself in fully. Nothing to prove, nothing to lose, everything to gain to walk this thing to the end with Jesus. And, you know, Peter did, like Uncle Segi told us the other Sunday. He paid with his life for the gospel, Peter, unashamedly. Not wobbled, not, he, he walked his call right to the end. Moses and Elijah, look at their death. It wasn't like some, no, no, God said, okay, your time is up, my boy. Go get on the mountain, you're coming home. You're done. Elijah, dan, 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 Remember that story. The last one I want to say with the call of God, is keep your eyes on the prize. 
So remember the NIV talks about those supplements, and he says if you possess these with increasing measure, you have to possess them. Not talk about them, possess them. Increasing measure. doesn't matter how much you have as long as it's growing. Cool? This one is keep your eyes on the prize, and I, and I, I think of verse 10. And we just got to get our theology right. I'm just saying, because some people think like, oh, faith in God, I don't have to do anything. No, you have to. It's not, you're not working to get saved. Of course not. But you have to supplement. You've got to keep growing in the call of God. That's why it's there. This thing of, of, of oh, he's done all the work. We don't have to work. No, it says there, work hard. Work hard. And, you know, it says work hard to prove you're really among those God has called and chosen. The NIV says make your calling and election sure. Don't misunderstand it. It's not saying work hard so you can be chosen. Work hard so you can prove you got picked. Remember what Marcel said. No, no. That you, if you are called, you'll work hard. That's how it is. And that proves that you've been called. Does that make sense? It's not like you're working hard so God can pick me, pick me, choose me, call me. Like some people do that. That's not what it's saying. You're misunderstanding it. Making your calling and election sure. I'm telling you, if you understand that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has called you, you work harder than everybody else. Not because your mother said, your Sunday school teacher said, your pastor said, you, you work hard because you know who it is who's calling you. And that proves that you're called. You're not doing it to prove you are called. It's just if you're called, it's like, you know, it's not a job someone gave you. It's not a task someone gave you. God's called you to preach. God's called you to love, to, to care, to you know, be compassionate, to, to look after. It's not the church doesn't call you. It's Him. And so keep your eyes on the prize because there is a welcome into the kingdom that's coming. I mean, just think about Jesus. In the call of God, didn't own much property. Everybody ran away, mostly. There's a couple of people from a distance still there. Owned nothing. In the will of God. Fulfilling the call of God. Laying down His life. But if you read Philippians 2, it says, Philippians 2, it says, Therefore God exalted Him to the highest place. Gave Him the name above every name. That everything in heaven, and you see, God exalts that when we live for the call of God. And there is a welcome into His kingdom. Can we stand? You've done so well. <sighs> Hope that made sense to you. Can I speak some things into us as a, as, a, as a church? And part of why I'm preaching this message is just because I'm feeling like the Lord's saying... Um, You've got five minutes here. Just before we get distracted by anything, I really, I, I, I want to just trust the Lord to prophetically begin to speak into us, if that's okay. The reason I've I been preaching this series is just because I believe us as a local church, God wants us to become not what people want us to be, not what the world says we are, 
but what He's called us to. And for that, we need clear vision. We need to see city life the way He sees us. We need to be clear on our motivation. We're not motivated by needs. We're not motivated by what people say. We're motivated by the King, our love for Him and eternity. But we're also going to become clear about our call. And I feel the Lord this morning just calling some of us to step up, to stand up, to step out in faith again. I feel like the Lord has called this church to influence. Uh, it's come through before, but I say it again in many diverse areas. Many, many, many diverse, manifold areas. Influence, influence. I feel like the Lord has called us to help and to plant new churches in regions and places that, that haven't got churches. I honestly feel that. I feel like the Lord has called us to raise many, many leaders, elders, deacons, worship leaders, kids ministry, ministry people. I feel like God's called us to that. He's called us to release that, to be able to help in other areas and regions, in our city and beyond. I feel like the Lord has called us as a church to break open new nations, new regions, places where the gospel hasn't gone before. Yes, us from here, from this place. I feel like the Lord has called this church to have a, a flow of the Holy Spirit's power moving through us and gifts being released and, and miracles happening commonplace daily, weekly. I feel like the Lord has, has called us to stability and to consistency in our city. That He would want to entrust us with an authority and a power and an anointing under His Holy Spirit to bring people out of darkness into His marvelous light, to release captives, to bring freedom and liberty to people. And I begin to speak this over us. I feel like the Lord has called us not to be deterred, not to give up, not to put... Uh, put away the things that He's spoken over us. And I feel like the Lord's saying there's an enlarging that needs to happen. That the call of God is not just so personal, but actually in His kingdom economy, there is an agenda that He has with this lampstand. And He's calling us to stand up and to rise up and to extend our faith and to reach for that which He's called us to. I feel like the Lord's saying that He's called us to press on even when there's opposition, to break open chains and places of darkness, to tear down what the enemy's done in our city, in our streets and communities, and to bring the light of the gospel to those places. And I feel like the Lord's saying that we should celebrate the little victories because every little victory is adding up to, to what He wants to do. And I feel like the Lord's saying that we, we should lift up our eyes and see the bigger vision that He sees. And I know maybe the specifics are different for every single one of us. That's okay. But I feel like the Lord's so, so loudly saying today, don't stop. Keep going. Lord, we want to lean into you. We want to lean into your prayers. You've assembled us as an army. You've assembled us. You've put us together, Lord. And we, we live out the gospel together as a family and as people who know each other's lives. 
But Lord, you've called us as a church with a kingdom purpose. And Lord, I want to begin to prophesy and speak those things into being. And I pray, Father, where the enemy has said we don't have what it takes, I take authority over that lie and say everything we need is already in us, Lord. I want to say today, Lord God, no matter what things look like, you've made promises and you keep promises. I want to say today, Lord God, that our eyes are on the prize. We're looking to eternity. There might be inconveniences. There might be a price to pay for the call of God. But Lord, in the, in the context of eternity, it's worth it. And then, Lord, I want to begin to prophesy and say, those of us that have stopped growing, Lord, will you help us to make an effort to supplement, to add to, to grow so we can be more effective. What a privilege that we are your handcrafted instrument to do your will. We are blessed, Lord. We are blessed, Lord. Anyone who's discouraged, anyone who's sick, anyone who needs any help right now, any breakthrough, we look to you, Jesus. It's in our knowledge of Christ that all these things, this divine power is accessed, Lord. Bless us, Lord. Bless the people that have been faithful to your calling. Encourage them. Strengthen them. Just blow wind into their sails. Ignite the fire again. Open mouths that have been shut. Hands that have grown cold. Anoint again, Lord. For the what that you've called us, Lord. Anointed. Holy Spirit, come upon us. You've anointed us to preach, to lead, to serve, to lay down, to encourage, to pray. You've anointed us. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Coffee.